Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Halstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing good, Jody. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah? Yeah. I was just reflecting here as we're starting to record this episode that this is episode 175. Bingo. Which means that we've been doing this for almost three and a half years. I figured you were saying that because that's become my new favorite compressor for drum buses, the 175B. But well, apparently I'm a, wrong, so shoot me uh, in No, that, that was just a layer of, uh, <laughs> of the subtext that I was bringing across. No, oh, but uh, yeah, time has kind of flown by, and I'm like, 175, really? Already? Bing. Woohoo. What are we jumping into today? A topic that I've heard and read about and been asked about for a while, mm-hmm. and it's mixing with pink noise. Mm thought this would be a good topic for us to kind of discuss as it's clearly on some people's minds and if it can help somebody, awesome. Sure. Before we go into the technicalities here, is this something that you've experimented with? Once or twice. Yeah? Yeah. What's the purpose of using pink noise? The idea behind pink noise is to have a steady level reference to relatively quickly get a balance between tracks in a project with large track counts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're dealing with like 10 tracks, the mix is probably not a difficult one to get together, or it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And if it is, going into esoteric things like pink noise might or it shouldn't be at the top of your priority list, maybe. Not necessarily. But, uh, it, and another yeah. reason behind it is that maybe you have something like a gigantic vocal group and you want to make sure that you're getting things relatively close together. So it can happen in small stacks. It doesn't have to always be giant, large count track type sessions. Yeah. So it's not like one size fits all. It's more like you could use this technique for balancing groups. Like you said, if you have like a massive pop vocal, backing vocal thing, it might be a good way to kind of do this. It is. So why are we using pink noise and not white noise? The main reason behind this is that pink noise compensates for human hearing in that each octave is perceived to be as loud as the next octave. White noise will sound louder the higher the frequency is. Right. That's just human hearing. If you really want to nerd out on this, go to Wikipedia and read up on all types of <laughs> noise, right? But pink noise is, is very well suited for this because, like you said, it compensates for our human hearing. Right. Right. And I think that's just evolutionary development where we get warning signs at a certain frequency. And I think our loudest perception is somewhere around like a three to 4K range, we're more sensitive to that. So using white noise for this would not be suitable because we hear- It doesn't compensate. It doesn't compensate for how we hear in a sense. Exactly. Pink noise works a lot better for this, like I said. What we need then to adopt this technique, and this is where it can get like a little bit- Tricky. Yeah, or esoteric, or dare I say cumbersome, I think, for the result. But <laughs> He just did. You dare. Yeah, I, I, I did. I'm brave today. But we need, obviously, a pink noise generator. Yes. And I think at this point, probably every doc comes with some kind of noise generator built in. I know Logic has one that can go between different flavors of white and pink noise and things. So you need something like that. Or if you don't have that, 
just have a sample a pink noise. Yeah, get a friend just, of yours that has a pink noise generator and have him record a bit of it and then loop it. Right. So just anything, and I'm sure you can get one anywhere that, that will suit this. want to stress here that if we're using this technique, we should be using this at the beginning of a mixing stage. Let's say that you're getting a file from somebody else to mix that you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be obviously one of your own tracks as well, right? But then I'm assuming you're relatively familiar with it. This is going to be like a starting point in your mix, right? Mm-hmm. The first thing I would do is then I would set all my faders of all the tracks I have to Unity. And that's going to give you a, a good starting point for everything. You mean set to little... zero on the channel strip arrangement of your DAW. Exactly. I would then have either the sample or the pink noise generator on a separate track. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to balance each individual track against this pink noise sample. Right. The first thing we want to think about is setting the level of the pink noise sample or generator. I'm just going to say pink noise because that's too much to say every time. So as you set the level of the pink noise, we want to kind of think of that as the peak level of your mix mm-hmm. on the output. Right? Okay. So give yourself enough room here because we're going to do more processing. But if you have it at sitting at peaking at maybe like minus nine, minus 10 something. Really? You, you, you go you that hot, it, huh? I would. Okay. Because it, it's not one of those things where your master out is going to sit at minus 18. If you have 10 dB of headroom there for your mixing moves and your eventual mastering, you have plenty of headroom there. Mm -hmm. So we're just dealing with like peaks. It's not like an RMS value thing. I'm just going against that. Now, once we have that going, I would solo each track against the pink noise, Mm -hmm. set the level to each track so that it's audible with the pink noise, but not drowning it out or not hear it. Now, the process that I would go through to balance here would be one of two things. I wouldn't move the fader because you want that as a good starting point still. Hmm. But I would do, in Logic, for example, I would insert the gain plugin as the first stage on each track and then adjust using that. Okay. Now, this to me is, it almost goes hand in hand with proper gain staging. Yes. Right? Except that we're doing this as an auditory thing as opposed to just like a value. Right, an RMS or a peak value. So you're adjusting this. Let's say that you're starting with your kick. You have your gain input set on the first insert on your channel strip, solo the pink noise as well as the kick, and adjust the gain of the kick so that you can kind of hear it along with that. Mm-hmm. Then repeat process through each and every track. On soloing, obviously, the kick, you go on to, let's say, you snare, you do the same process and, and set levels that way. Right. Not using any panning at this stage. We're just throwing everything up the middle. At the end of it, get rid of the pink noise, and you should have a relatively balanced mix as a starting point. In terms of your mono straightforwardness of no panning. Yeah, exactly. And of course, <laughs> if it, I'm kind of curious as to why you chose no panning. Well, I'm saying like not necessarily stereo tracks. If you have a stereo keyboard track, leave it as it is. Mono tracks, I'm not placing things in the mix yet. Mm. 
this is just getting sort of like levels to sit where you are. That would become the next step of starting your mix. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that feel like an interesting prospect for Jody to start doing now on every mix? <laughs> Not exactly. And my option would be slightly different. You said to solo everything individually, which is all well and good. The way I would approach it is that I would leave the pink noise generator or the pink noise track on. All the other tracks would be muted rather than soloing individually because things can get complicated when you start soloing and unsoloing multiple objects. Sure. I would mute and unmute things as I would go. That, Slightly yeah. different thing, just not trying to multi-solo things at a time. Same process, the same result. Or different mm -hmm. process, but the same result. Yes. Right. I think it's really important here to think about certain tracks as well. For me, since we're dealing with unprocessed tracks here, or unprocessed in the way that we have received them, there of course might be processing at the recording stage, but we're not doing anything to them at this point. Mm -hmm. A vocal will be oftentimes very dynamic. Lead vocals and stuff can be hard to do this process with. Sure. So that's something that I would approach later. I mean, you can set a certain level and see, but be prepared that you're not going to be as pinpoint accurate as something that is constantly hitting like a kick or something. Well, so. the real crux of this is, is that it's not a final mix. Right. When you match everything to the pink noise and then eventually turn the pink noise off and turn all of your tracks back on. It's meant as a roundabout way to get things relatively balanced as a starting point. Right. Interestingly enough, you had mentioned that you need to insert a gain stage plug-in, and that's fairly true on some DAWs. Luna has a gain staging portion to it before it even hits the plug-in situation. So you could actually adjust that prior to the plugins in Luna, which is kind of nice. Kinda is nice. that kind of nice. like a clip gain type of a thing, or how, how does that work? It's a trim in knob. Luna. Okay. Much like yeah, a console so, would actually have is a trim knob. Right. And you can so turn it up and thing. you can turn yep. it down. So it's built in. It's not an actual plug-in. Although I think there is a plug-in or two that where you can insert it in there and do the same thing as a game thing. But why use extra processing power for something that's already built in like it is on a console? <laughs> right. Yeah. And of course, every DAW will deal with this a little bit differently. Sure. But the idea is... Just like you're describing, if you had a console, you would use your trim knob to get that level. Yep. Same idea. This is just a plug-in form. Wow. However you do that, that's the process. So however you go about doing it. You might even have to do a clip gain thing if your DAW doesn't have that functionality. Right. But, um, yeah. That's the starting point of that kind of thing anyway. And speaking of some other starting points, let's take a word from our sponsors. And we're back. There's one thing we really didn't mention prior to breaking out for our sponsors, and that is what? This is not a substitute for proper gain staging. Bingo. And I think that is a really, really good point to come across. Taking care of all of these things as you're tracking and even as delivering tracks for somebody else to mix. If you hear that, people? <laughs> <laughs> right? It's also something that would be my first port of call, like if I'm receiving 
files to, to mix that have not been properly gain staged. Right. right. But logic makes that process relatively easy. Oh, it doesn't make it relatively easy. It makes it stupid simple. Well, that's not Seriously, it, it makes it stupid <laughs> yeah. simple. Right under the functions menu of the arrange window, there is a normalize function. Yeah, when you select all the tracks, game. you can do it by individual tracks, you can do it by individual regions or the collective as a whole. And you have two choices. You can go by peak or you can go by relative volume. You select your tracks, go by individual tracks and hit, you want your peaks at minus 18, hit that. It will automatically adjust every single track to be minus 18 for its peaking, which yep. is beautiful. It, it is. And I don't think that function gets talked about enough. No, it doesn't. Right. It's actually a very good function. And aside from we're talking about pink noise and the idea of proper gain staging, that's a really simple fix to properly gain stage tracks yeah. <laughs> in a DAW when you Absolutely. fuck it up, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes your job so much easier. Now, it can, especially if you're getting tracks from someone else who has no concept of this. Yeah, but I mean, as a mixer, when you have stuff properly gain stage, never mind hitting analog emulation at a certain level or any of that, but having everything being sort of equal, mm -hmm. it makes your job a lot easier as a mixing engineer because now I feel like I can manage a mix and I don't have to worry about that tambourine that was recorded blaring hot and I have to bring it down with all sorts of processing or anything to, to make it sit right. Or right. the other way around, that singer that was really shy when she was singing, so she's barely whispering and I have to bring that up and all the noise and stuff that goes with it, right? Yes. Gain staging is, we don't have to throw that out just because we're using the pink noise mixing. And I think they go hand in hand, but they're the pink noise trick here to kind of get balance is a little bit different because we're doing it more as an auditory and it gives us a starting point for the mix as opposed to just a steady slate. Right? See, and this is slightly where I would also vary from what you said previously before the break where you want to use a gain stage plug-in to align the gain and everything remains at unity. If you really want to teach yourself how much you've missed the mark, so to speak – on a track, if you've done the recording and you are the recording engineer that's now doing the mixing, you can see how much the channel fader has moved mm, yeah. on a particular instrument. And if you do that, then you can understand, oh, next time I should actually bump up the gain or, oh, next time I should actually pull down the gain from wherever I'm hitting and recording something. That's if you're working in a utopian recording environment. Obviously, we don't all do that, and it's not 100% feasible to do it every single time. The idea behind using the pink noise is to teach yourself that concept. That's how I would look at it. Yeah, I can see that. If we constantly have to do similar adjustments to levels mm -hmm. uh, on whatever type of tracks that we're recording, it should be a learning experience when we see that, oh, I tend to do this. So next time I record base, whatever. I want to make sure that I correct for this going in. Right? Yeah. So Take your notes. Learn from your mistakes. Right. What I think the strength of pink noise is a good way to perhaps train your ear as you're, you're setting levels. I am not somebody that employs this kind of method 
I would say it's great for people if they want to try it out and see what's going on. It's probably not something that I will ever adopt. Mm. The way I tend to mix, I'm kind of doing it, but just not using pink noise. You know what I mean? So I, I might start with like certain elements of the track and I, I, it's generally drums are the groove for me that I have a certain level. And then I start bringing elements in for that. Mm-hmm. Should you use pink noise? Maybe. Let's put it like this. It's not going to make a mix that much better just out of the gate because it just sets the starting point. Mm-hmm. Give it a try, but it's not, uh, again, all the elements that you've talked about, gain staging and all that kind of stuff is, to me, more important. But it is an interesting technique. One thing I want to bring up as well while I'm thinking about it, I mentioned vocals can be difficult to do this with. Yes. Another thing to keep in mind as well, if you're the one doing the recording and you're getting or you're having like uh, DI tracks of guitar, for example, that are then hitting an amp sim on your end and they're not printed, so to speak, the idea of introducing a gain plugin or a trim knob at the first of your channel strip is not good because now you're affecting what you're going into your amp sim. Or any right. kind of amp sim, right? So you want to make sure that if you're doing this, you want to do it with a printed track, right? So you have the processing already on there because if not, it's going to throw everything out of whack that you're sending into your amp or your bass sim. Hmm. Right? Key things things that make Jody there. go, hmm. Hmm. Yes. Right. So those are your thoughts on this technique then? Those are my thoughts. Is there anything that... You want to add to that? I mean, what are your thoughts about it? You haven't used it a whole lot before, but what was your experience with it when you did? You mentioned something early on where you want to get it to where you can audibly hear whatever it is the track is in the mm-hmm. pink noise without it coming out over the top of the pink noise or without it disappearing into the pink noise. What I would take away from this is because of the fact that it's compensated noise, it will help you to learn to listen to the individual element that you are running the pink noise against. Mm -hmm. The thing you have to be careful about when doing this is if you are familiar with like, you start with a kick drum and you get it to the point where you're kind of hearing the kick drum in with the pink noise. But you're adjusting, you go louder, you're like, oh, there are kick drums coming out over the pink noise. So you bring it back and you bring it back too far. And it's like, I can't really quite hear it anymore. You have to be careful that you are not ghosting yourself within the technique where you bring it back too far and you think you're hearing it, but you are not hearing it. Or you push it too far and you know that you're actually hearing it and you're not paying attention to how loud you've been pushing something. The idea using the pink noise along with getting a great starting point from a gain staged style beginning is to learn to hear the instrument within the noise. And to me, that's an interesting concept in and of itself when you are working on mixes that can be very dense. Yes. Where you have a lot of things going on and you need to figure out, do I need to start stripping something out? Do I need to start adding something else in? In order to push and pull with things that go on in the mix. And I think pink noise makes that very easy to figure that out per instrument. Yeah. I think also to really stress there is that 
what you're doing when you're setting something up. It's not necessarily that it's going to be an ideal level of the track. No, it's that's why I was questioning point. your concept of starting at minus 10. <laughs> well, but it, it might not change that much, right? So it's not, but the idea here is like, we're also dealing with unprocessed tracks. Mm-hmm. So when you start adding EQ and compression to bring out all the elements that we do in a mix, right? Mm-hmm. Taking away low end, whatever it happens to be, but having them at a level, it's just going to give you that sense of, okay, everything is going on here. Now, I had one thing that I was doing this through the week and, and try to dig into this technique a little bit deeper was that I was doing this with a track and the track had some percussion going on that was more on the high end. It was like a tambourine type of a thing. It was like mm-hmm. a noise percussion, basically. Right. Bringing that up to a level, according to Pink Noise, did not work at all. It was like not even close because <laughs> it's just so overbearing in the mix, right? Sure. So you obviously you have to use judgment when you're doing this as you're stripping everything away and you're starting your mix. It's like that's not where that needs to be, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you switch to white noise at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe I'll just get rid of all the noise and just mix using my ears. Right. Yeah. Is it for everybody? I don't know. Probably not. I think it's great for people learning to get the concept of gain staging and balancing together if they have no clue of what they're doing. I think it's a good way of getting started to understand the relative nature of that. Once you get past that point, you really don't always need pink noise. Actually, you really don't need it at all as long as you understand the concept of getting those balances. Right. Another way that I would think of this, though, as opposed to like an entire mix, we mentioned vocal groups and big backing vocals and stuff. Uh It could also be a good way to get a starting point if you have like a lot of layered keyboards and things. Sure. To kind of get those to kind of sit out. So anything that you can do in a relative way, it's just a technique to get some kind of balance going. I'm with you. I think it's best to start developing your ear, and perhaps this is a technique that will help you do that. We can always also, of course, completely lose focus of of relative levels within certain groups and stuff. So it's a good ear training tool, but it's not for everybody. There, I said it. All right. And speaking of losing focus, let's move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got this week? I haven't tried this yet, but this looks really, really cool. I have to ask you first, that what, what is the sexiest thing that you can think of when it comes to audio processing? The sexiest thing? Yeah. Ooh. Well, the reason I'm asking is because you're very unlikely to say a gate. Oh, right? I was going to say a gate, though. Because I just did it on a mix recently where I was gating the room noise recorded with the drums, and it gave the drums a really cool energy level without just letting it constantly ring out. But I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't really choose a gate as the sexiest thing ever. Right. That question being asked, that is my Friday find. I was turned on to a plugin called SmartGate mm. by Sonable. It's using, obviously, machine learning to do this kind of stuff. It seems to do a really, really good job. And you still have a certain amount of tweakability going on. So speaking about using your ears and stuff, right? Let's say that you have a vocal part or 
snare or anything, let's say a drum kit would be a really good use for this because you generally have a lot of bleed, right, mm -hmm. that you might not want in the kick or the snare or whatever. And the smart gate seems to do a really, really good job at setting levels for clamping down on the gate and just isolating certain things. It can even do stuff that if you have a drum loop, mm. not just an isolated kick, but you have like a kick and snare, you can set it to either one of those parameters, for example, to listen for just the kick and it will actually gate out the snare of that drum loop. Ooh. So that was one of those things where I'm like, Ooh, that's an interesting tool. It's not one of those where it's like, oh, AI is going to mix your track for you, but it's going to make the tedious task possibly better. I thought that was really, really cool. It looked really interesting. So my Friday find is uh, SmartGate by Sonable of this week. And you have something else really cool as well. So what you got, Joey? I don't know how cool it is, but it's a company called Dark Glass, and they make bass amplifiers. And they have a brand new one called the Microtube X900. This particular thing is a very, very small, compact bass amp, like hardcore bass amp. I guess they call it small dimension because it is really kind of quite small. It might probably be the size of a Mac Mini, as I'm guessing. It boasts... 900 watts of digital power, hence the reason X900. It has an EQ section. It has high and low saturation points. It has MIDI channel switching. It even has muting. It has an IR cabinet simulation that you can store cabinets in there with it. It has auxiliary inputs, headphone outputs, and it weighs just under three kilograms. This Oof. is ridiculous. I mean, it's tiny, and it is packing a punch. So mine is the Dark Glass Microtube X900. That's really cool. You showed me that and looked really impressive. And I have to say that I've been using software mm -hmm. from Neural DSP for my bass amp, and I, I know that that was my Friday find long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. But the Dark Glass stuff sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. So good pick, bud. Yay. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so, you will need to be on our email list to be eligible for any future giveaways. And we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of this killer podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word pink. And you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Have a good one, Jody. Thank you for listening, everybody. 